Everybody else heard that too, right? I'm not going crazy. Okay. Now, many of you know I go to the hospital a lot. Um, In fact, I went to three different hospitals on three different occasions this week. I go a lot. Uh, My favorite one to go to is CMC Maine. And I like that one because they kind of roll out the red carpet for us clergy. They've got a nice clergy parking lot right front up front. You go in, I have my little um, mugshot thing I can hook to my um, lapel or whatever. I don't usually have a lapel. Hook to myself in some form. I'm telling you, I'm going to be scatterbrained this morning, so prepare yourselves. I like CMC Main. I, go, I park right in front. I go in. They have a clergy lounge. I really shouldn't even be telling you guys this. They have a clergy lounge where they have a big basket full of, like, Snickers bars and M&Ms. I don't even know if I've divulged this to Meredith. She probably gets into Volvo sometimes and sees all these wrappers of candy bars and wonders where I'm getting all this stuff. I've shared some of that with some of you at the hospital. Actually, I don't see anyone here this morning that I've shared with, but I'll smuggle some of that out sometimes and take it to some of you folks when you're in the hospital. Um, I like going there. Some of the hospitals are not as easy. I find Presbyterian Maine to be actually kind of difficult for me to get in and and out. It's my own fault. I still haven't gotten my certification there. There's a little bit more red tape, so I just haven't done it. Um, So I'll park a little further away and walk and um, there's C- CMC out in Pineville, northeast, where I was last night. Um, met Matthews. Uh, I talk to Matt Larkin sometimes. He's the pastor of Longsgrove. He goes out to the Monroe Hospital. Uh, we pastors, Glennon can, can attest to this, we spend a lot of time at hospitals. But that does not mean that we are all super healthy guys. In fact, I can tell you that some of the folks that I see coming and going out of the clergy parking lots do not look very healthy at all. In spite of all that time that they spend around medicine and doctors and healthcare professionals, they're still not healthy. And chaplains I see sometimes just look like they need to just lie down on a gurney and just get some help (laughs) because we're tired people. But my point is going, being at a hospital does not equal getting healed. It's only those who go and they lie down and they just submit themselves entirely and vulnerably to the surgeon or to the doctor who get healed. To put it in a different way, imagine two people, imaginary people. We'll name one of them Jane and one of them John, okay? So Jane and John both are in need of a heart transplant. This is a fairly radical surgery. They both need a heart transplant. So both go to their doctor. They get this diagnosis. Both of them, Jane and John, fast for however long, 24 hours before. They wake up early one morning. They both go to the hospital. They both get to the hospital. They both strip down and put on one of those hospital gowns that's open in the back. Now, John sits down with a magazine. Jane lays down on the operating table, gives herself to the surgeon, is put under so that they can cut her open and do what needs to be done. John finishes his magazine, puts on his street clothes, and goes home. However long later, Jane puts on her street clothes and goes home. Which one is going to be healed? You guys don't remember which name went with which character, do you? Well, it's a dumb illustration. It's obvious. Jane will be healed. John will not. Even though he was there, even though he wore the gown, 
he's not going to be healed. It's the one who laid down on the operating table, submitting fully and vulnerably. You know how vulnerable you are when you allow someone to just put you totally unconscious and lay you down and, and have sharp objects and you're not going to remember what happened? Total vulnerability, total giving yourself over, total submission. That's how you receive healing from a hospital. Now, I'm telling you all this for a reason. Um, My sermon in a sentence this morning is this. Christianity is an internal operation. Christianity is an internal operation with external effects. I'm going to untangle that sentence. It will make sense by the end. But Christianity is an internal operation with external effects. Trying to replicate the external effects of Christianity will not help anyone. It will not save anyone. It's like going to the hospital and wearing the open back gown and just sitting there. It's not going to help you. Trying to replicate the external effects of Christianity is not going to help you any more than that. And expecting externals from people is not going to help anyone. What I mean by that is if you have someone in mind that you're particularly worried about and you're thinking, oh, if they would just go to church, if they would just get baptized, if they would just join a Bible study, if they would just clean up their act, if they would just stop cussing and drinking and doing drugs and wearing immodest clothing and listening to rock and roll music or whatever, if they would just do these things, they would be saved. No, they wouldn't. Those things don't save anybody. Only going, giving yourself fully and vulnerably to Jesus Christ to be opened up to get that heart transplant really helps anybody. Receiving this internal operation changes everything. I was thinking about Will. He's not here today. I forgot he wasn't going to be here. I plan to use him in the sermon. Um, Scott, you get a a weekend off. Um, I really want you to be thinking about because I know many of you are Christians. I'm sure some of you are thinking, oh, he's going to preach the gospel at me again. I'm saved. Well, some of you are, but I want you to think about those folks you're worried about. It might be a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, a cousin, a friend, a coworker. Don't put expectations on them to act out the externals of Christianity, meaning uh, religious rituals like baptism and stuff or morality. Don't put those expectations on them. Because that would be like Mike and Denise expecting Will to be able to do squats and ride a bike without taking him to the surgeon to get his knee operated on. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Will Boston, he's the the young guy at the church who who tipped over frontwards on his dirt bike and messed his knee all up. You know, his parents loved him. They wanted him to be able to, to ride a bike and do squats and run and do his lawn care business. But they didn't come at him saying, Will, you've got to just get out there. Get on that mower. That would be totally unloving. No, they took him to a doctor and said, we've got to get this problem, this root problem solved. All those externals are going to come after real healing has taken place, after real change has taken place. It's real important that we think clearly about this. Because remember our sermon last week, if we don't, we could end up hurting people. And we don't want to do that. So a little context before we read our passage. Romans, Paul is writing to the Roman church. It has Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. They're different types of Christians. He's trying to unite them, and the tool he's using to unite them is the gospel. 
So, so far, he's been basically telling both sides why they're screwed up. And eventually, we're going to get to the part where he ties them all together with a neat little bow under the gospel and says, but if you'll have faith in Christ, you'll be okay. So he's told the Gentile Christians, you need to repent of your rebellion. And he's told the Jewish Christians, you need to repent of your religion. You need to stop trusting in that, and you both need to turn to Christ. So he's continuing that same line of thought right now. And if you'll stand with me so we can honor the reading of God's word. We're in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. Romans 2, verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. We're so blessed to have God's Word to study this morning. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. By show of hands, how many of you have this passage uh, emblazoned on a coffee mug or a t-shirt? Nobody got this on their coffee mug? You Jews are circumcised, but it doesn't matter if you're circumcised because Gentiles aren't circumcised, but they act circumcised. Why don't y'all have that on a t-shirt? That's so catchy. I know none of you thought about circumcision this week. But this does, this does affect us. And I hope to tell you why. So let's just step through the passage and see what God has in here for us. Verse 25. For indeed... Circumcision is of value if you practice the law, but if you, are, if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Okay. Circumcision was the, the physical act of entering in the covenant. I won't go into graphic detail. I always say, ask Ron after the service, and he'll give you all the details. <laughs> circumcision is the physical act that the Jewish people would do, signifying that they were entering the covenant with God, meaning that they would be God's people. God would be their God. You read that a lot in Scripture. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. It's a, God always interacts with his people by covenant. So for the Jewish people, circumcision was very important. It parallels our concept of baptism, how it's sort of the initiation into the covenant. They took it very seriously. And apparently they looked down on the Gentiles because they were not circumcised. And you'll read all through the New Testament, there's always this controversy, uh, uh, controversy of should Gentile Christians, like I'm pretty sure all of us, be circumcised as a sign of entering into the covenant or should they not? Um, and this gets toward that. But for our sake today, think of it like marriage and the wedding ring. When you get married, almost everybody exchanges wedding rings. Now this is really important to me. This is my wedding ring. 
It's really important to me. I don't want to lose it. I didn't want to lose it when I did lose it in, at the beach. If you remember, I went, when I first started as a pastor, I wasn't wearing a wedding ring for probably six months because I foolishly tried to take it off and put it in my pocket while I was standing in the waves on the beach. And a wave hit me, and I dropped it in the sand and couldn't find it. But my point is, as important as this is, and as important as the covenant is that it represents, when I lost that ring in the ocean, my marriage to Meredith didn't, wasn't altered other than her burning rage against me for <laughs> losing my wedding ring. <laughs> Actually, she was very gracious. See, the Jews were like, it would be as though there was a married man standing here, and then back then when I didn't have my ring, this guy is like cheating on his wife, doesn't love his wife at all, but he has a wedding ring. And he's looking at me saying, you are such a loser husband. You don't even have a wedding ring. Meanwhile, he doesn't love his wife at all. That's kind of the situation. The Jews weren't obeying the law any more than the Gentiles. But they were looking at them saying, you don't, you're not even circumcised. What kind of Christian are you? So Paul, being a Jew, by the way, I think I forgot to mention, Paul's a Jew, so he can talk harshly to the Jewish people and get away with it better than I could. It, I'd be hauled out of here for anti-Semiticism. Is that right? Anti-Semitics? No, that's not right. That doesn't sound right. But Paul could say these things. So he says, this, this thing, this circumcision, is only valuable if you're practicing the law. It's only valuable if you're practicing the law. Now, what's, what is the law? When Jesus summed it all up, what was the main thing that the law tells us to do? You could say it. Okay, by, and by this point, you guys should say it a lot more confidently than that. What is the number one commandment? Yeah, everybody trails off when you get to the list because some translations say it differently and some verses say it differently. But love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's the main thing God wants us to be doing. What's the second greatest commandment that Jesus said? Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying, you guys are so concerned about this external sign of the covenant, but you're not even loving God or loving people. So it, is, it doesn't have any value. In fact, he, he goes on in that same verse to explain that that disobedience totally negates the circumcision. It just totally makes it null and void. Failure to receive the internal operation negates the benefit of the external acts. The baptisms we do, those could very easily just be a very brief, fully clothed bath. It could be totally meaningless if it is not connected to a real, genuine change of heart. And I don't want to just publicly bathe people up there. A hospital gown can just be a really, really poor fashion choice. If you're not wearing it to get changed and operated on. Can you just imagine somebody walking down the street in their hospital gown, flapping open in the wind? (laughs) Saying, man, I'm healthy. I'm healthier than you. I'm wearing a hospital gown. (laughs) How stupid that would be. To walk around with the external just emblems of change, ignoring the reality, the real heart change. 
Failure to receive the internal operation negates the benefit of the external acts. Take off the hospital gown and put on some clothes. If you're following me. So he keeps going in verse 26 and 27. So, if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And if he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor, a transgressor of the law? It's a tongue twister. It's hard scripture, but we can sort it out. Basically, what he's saying is obedience to the law is regarded as entry into the covenant for these Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. And that, that was shocking to the Jewish people, I'm sure. Their whole heritage said you have to be circumcised to enter into the people of God. And Paul's saying their obedience makes them more the people of God than your circumcision. Everybody hanging with me? Still a lot of circumcision talk, and I know you're not used to that. Basically what he means is it is better to have a changed life than circumcision, as opposed to having circumcision without a changed life. Do you follow that line of thinking? In other words, for us, it would be better to have a changed life by the gospel of Jesus Christ and not have baptism, not have church membership, not have youth group, not have men's fellowship, women's fellowship, not have a cross necklace, not have fish on the back of your car, not have Bible studies. It would be better to have real life change and not have any of that than to have all of that with no life change. So he keeps going. In other words, the external stuff is secondary. The internal stuff is primary. He keeps going, uh, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Entry into the covenant, being God's people, him being our God, is an internal operation, not an external operation. It's a spiritual operation, not a physical operation. We don't think internal and spiritual that much out in the world, so it's hard for us to get our minds working this way. It's easy for us to think visible, external, physical change. It's hard for us to think internal, invisible, spiritual So he explains a couple of things that I want to focus on. You note there in verse uh, 29, he is not a Jew, he is a, wait a second, what does it say? He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart. So this, what we're after is of the heart, not of the body. We want change of the heart not of the externals. I have a friend who would say he's a Christian. None of you have ever met this guy. He's never come. He would say he's a Christian, and he would base that on the fact that one time he got baptized. And he would base that on the fact that he basically adheres 
to the Christian set of morals. But he has no desire at all for God. Now, why is that a big problem? If you claim to be the people of God and don't have a desire for God. Well, because Paul says if we claim to be God's people, but don't obey God's commands, that it's not true. Now, what is the greatest command? You can answer. We already did it once. What is the greatest command? Yeah, there you go. Love God. I'll abbreviate it. That's good. That is the main thing. So to say, yes, I'm a Christian, but to have absolutely no affection for him, no concern for him, no desire for him, that presents a big problem. And I know that he would point to his baptism, just like these Jewish people would point to their circumcision, to say, I am part of the people of God. But God says through Paul, no, it's not about any of those external behaviors. It's about your heart. So a couple of quick points of application for us. I want to encourage you and myself to set our sights higher in terms of thinking what God might do for us. To set our sights higher for how we might develop as a person. Some of us think that, you know, if, we're really, if we really have it together... We'll do the religious rituals really well, and we'll do really well at behavior modification. Communion, baptism, church stuff, and basic morality. But set your sights higher, because God can transform your heart to where you actually love Him and to do what's right. And your desires change. That's part of the heart transplant. You get a new heart that actually desires God. Some of you guys can't wait for me to shut up so you can go. Some of you aren't here because you desire God. You're here because you desire the, a non-nagging afternoon with your spouse or you desire the friendship or you desire the way it makes you look to be a church-going person. And I understand all that. I'm not going to pretend that I'm always 100% desiring to worship God. Sometimes I'm just tired. You know, sometimes I do the religious ritual because I know it'll just look plain bad if I don't. I'm a pastor. So I'm not standing up here like I'm all awesome or I have it together. But the question for us is, what's our deepest desire? Do we have a desire for God? Now, I'm not trying to be condemning here. We just need to examine ourselves. And again, as we think about people we care about and we pray for them and we try to influence them for the better and, you know, I have people in my own mind that I'm thinking about, that I'm worried about. And even I, you know, being as close to God's word as I am all week, even I slip into wishing for them, wishing that they could do better with the exteriors. Why can't they just come to church? Why don't they just do this? Why don't they stop doing this? Stop hanging out with that crowd. Stop drinking. I know they're drinking. They don't think I do, but I know. Uh, I wish they would. But it could be so much better than just them stopping doing some stuff, starting doing other stuff. God could totally just, just completely change them. 
Your heart is the deepest part of you. It's where all your desires are. Be completely changed. Let's have that kind of aspiration, those kinds of prayers for our people that we care so much about. So the internal operation is this heart change. The external effect is things like baptism. Baptism is great when it's representing, you know, the old heart, leaving it under the water. The new heart is alive to God. You start doing some of those external things after the heart change. Okay, the, the second thing is it's in the heart, not the body, and it's by the Spirit, not the letter. When he says letter, he means the law. We've been talking a lot about the law. But that's not going to save you or, or really change you. We're going to find out in about a chapter that the law mainly acts like a mirror to show you that you're messed up and you need help. Now, how many of you got confused this morning and you're getting ready and you're sleepy and you're standing in front of your mirror and you women start putting lipstick on your reflection instead of yourself and you start trying to fix the hair on the mirror and it's just not working and you men, you draw on your tie with a marker on the mirror, and then you walk out and you drive to church naked and unkempt. <laughs> Nobody. I know that's another dumb illustration. I'm sorry. The law is just a mirror. Look into it. Look into it deeply and see the difference between you and what the law puts out there. Loving God with an all-consuming love. Loving neighbors completely selflessly. But don't think that gazing into that mirror is going to change you or trying really hard to change the image on that mirror is going to help you. That's just to show us that we need help. So we'll go to the surgeon. So we'll go to God and say, I, just, I, could, I need a new heart. I'll lay down on that operating table and just fully and vulnerably submit my entirety to you. Just change me. Change me. And as we're praying for the people we care about, just change them. Change them. And we're going to find out soon that the law, it actually says in the Bible, the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. What we're after is a ministry of the Spirit, not the letter, not the law. And there are external effects. And yes, I'm going through the Spirit on you again. I know I say that every week too, but it's really important to me. In fact, I'll flip there, and you can flip there too, to Galatians chapter 5. Has somebody been toying with my watch? It is not seven till yet, is it? Galatians chapter five. If if we if we can get this, if we can get God to do this surgery on us, if we can get ourselves to just lay down and let Him cut us open and change us, here's all the external things, the things that that change. In Galatians five, first he talks about the works of the flesh that die. And, you know, I had you flip there, but I'm actually not going to read it. I'm just going to list them out, um, starting in verse 19. He just explained that, you know, the flesh and the spirit, they're against each other. Be changed, walk in the spirit, and the works of the flesh die. Works of the flesh such as immorality and impurity and sensuality, all the lusts that, that, that men are characterized by will, will die. Idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, all the trouble that we have with each other will just start to die. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. 
That stuff will die. And then look down another verse at what will grow once we let the Spirit do this work in us. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Oh, man, all this beautiful fruit grows once the internal operation has been complete. The externals grow. The internal operation of being a Christian is sort of twofold. It's your desires change. You desire to be obedient. And your abilities change. You're enabled to be obedient. When you have the Holy Spirit, he gives you gifts so that you can obey and you can love people and you can worship God. I listed these out. These come from different scriptures. The Holy Spirit enables Christians to have words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpreting people who are speaking in tongues, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, mercy, evangelism, pastoring, all these things are things that the Spirit enables us to do. See, the law just shows us that we're messed up. We don't want to obey, and we can't obey. So then we turn to the Spirit and say, change me, and He changes us to where we want to obey, and we can't obey. Do y'all see? Everybody still with me? Okay. So all our participation in religious rituals and behavior modification... As Christians, that flows from the inside out. People do not change from the outside in. People can change their job. They can change their spouse. They can change their body. They can change their situation. They can change their car. But it will not change them inside. You cannot change from the outside in, but we can change from the inside out. So much more powerful than the outside in techniques of people in the world. So... I want to invite you to see the surgeon this morning. If you'll see in your bulletin, there's in there a time of reflection. Looks like I've left myself about 15 seconds for that time of reflection. I don't care. You guys love being here, so I'm going to maybe go a minute or two late. Sorry. I want to invite you to see the surgeon this morning. To lay down in total submission and vulnerability to receive his scalpel, his operation to be changed and healed and transformed. And I think the best way to seek that is quietly and prayerfully. So Alicia is going to play kind of quietly. And I want to invite everyone here to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I know how dangerously close to asleep many of you already are. But for those who are not, I just want you to listen and I'll guide you through some scripture and a little time of prayer, a little time of reflection. So if you'll bow your head and close your eyes. Just a moment. This may be the only time you have stopped all week. Galatians 6.15 says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. And as your eyes are closed and it's quiet, 
and you have just a moment to think, I want you to ask yourself, have you experienced a change of heart and a newness by coming and giving yourself to Jesus Christ? Or have you been maintaining a lifestyle of religious, ritual, and behavior modification? It might be the most important question you can ask yourself right now. Deuteronomy 36 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendant, your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Do you have growing within you a love for God? Foundationally, what motivates you? Why are you here this morning? It's an important question because while all I can see is externally that you're here and you're well-dressed and you're smiling, what God sees is your heart and he cares about your motivation. So why are you here this morning? Because he could transform us into people who are here for all the right reasons. Lively, vibrant, fruit of the spirit kind of people who are here to worship. A little later in Romans, we're going to read that God justifies both the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians by faith. So ask yourself, what am I trusting in? What am I trusting in for acceptance with God? What am I trusting in to take care of this guilt? Maybe it's the case that some of you, maybe Christians, maybe not Christians, have been trusting in your performance, how good you can be, how much better you are than so-and-so. And just be refreshed to know that Jesus will take away all that, all the regret, all the guilt. Give you forgiveness, give you new life. Releasing us from sin, releasing us from the law to live an abundant life. Is your Christianity exhausting or is it refreshing? And finally, that person you're so worried about. You know exactly who I'm talking about, I I think. Just take a moment to just pray for them. Pray for God's heart-changing operation to take place that will just change their entirety, not just parts of their personality or their situation. May we be a people who go to the surgeon, who are changed, 